0: Amen. Well, let's have the kids dismiss to their time of worship upstairs. That is uh, three years old through fifth grade. Y'all can make your way up now, and then uh, parents pick them up upstairs after the service. Thank you for joining with us in worship uh, this morning. We had a great um, first service outside at 9.15. And uh, just as a reminder to you, we're going to keep going um, that direction, uh, 9.15 outside, 10.30 inside. Um, at least through Memorial Day is our plan right now, and so um, you're welcome to join us for either service. And those watching online, we're, we're grateful for you all too. And so, um, any way you want to join us on a Sunday, we'd we'd love to have you. Um, this Sunday today, we'll have a special lunch that we call Fellowship 101, which is our uh, the first. A step in our new members process. And so anyone is welcome to come and join us for lunch, and it's no cost to you, it's uh, mostly informational. There, there's two parts of the lunch. The first is information, who we are as Fellowship Bible Church, what we are all about here. And uh, the second part of the lunch is an opportunity to join in membership. And all members uh, share a testimony in order to uh, become members themselves. And so you're welcome to join, whether it's your first time or your 50th time here with us, and just hear the information about the church. And um, some will stay and share their testimonies and become members today, and uh, others will just hear the information and go on and become members in the future. And so um, you if you haven't signed up already, you're still welcome. Just uh, meet me up here at the end of the service, and we'll, we'll figure all that out. Uh, also want to let you know we have another baby dedication coming up. We have um, uh, baptism coming up, so if you want information about that, just let the church office know, let me know. Um, and VBS is coming up the third week in July, and so we are going to start communicating more and more about that, so get ready. Um, VBS is going to be a big event for us. It's always an exciting time. We uh, weren't able to be in person for VBS. We were all virtual last year, so we're, we're going to do it big and do it well this year. So um, be praying now about how you might help with that, whether it's decorating, set building, um, leading snacks, leading games, uh, leading groups of kids. All of that stuff we will need for that. Um, I read the paper this week. Aren't you proud of me? Um, it's really hard for a millennial to do, to read a newspaper. But... Um, One of our emphases here, our mission statement is to glorify God by making disciples in all nations. Uh, Our vision is investing our community, inspiring all to follow Jesus. We see ourselves as Fellowship Bible Church to be a part of this Dalton-Whitfield community, and and we need to value that part, which is why when um, there was a fatal car accident right in front of our um, church uh, earlier this week, you see Janice— praying for the families involved in that situation, Um, which is why when things affect our community in either good or bad ways, uh, we want to emphasize them. And uh, one of our members um, has an opportunity to kind of make a a lasting impact in uh, our downtown area through a sculpture being installed this week. Um, Another one of our members gets to help um, with doing some landscaping for it and and some kids actually have served as models for this sculpture so Um, It's not always that I come up here and promote artwork from church members, uh, but because it's a um, sculpture being unveiled in downtown Dalton that will be there um, for a long time to come, uh, I want to invite you um, on Thursday at 4 o'clock to the intersection of Morris Street and Veterans Drive. It's actually called Lackey Park, which maybe you've never heard of because I hadn't. Um, But there you will know it now because there will be a big bridge with kids on it and, um, Chris Beck, one of our own is, um, installing a sculpture there. I said, um, I said, Chris, are you done? He said, he said, no. I said, Chris, when are you going to be done? He said, I don't know. I need to do, I need to finish soon. I said, how could I help? He said, invite people so that I have to be done by my deadline. <laughs> that's not exactly how that conversation went, but, but that's all true. Um, so, um, Thursday at 4, just to, to celebrate um, a, a godly man that's a member of our church that is beautifying a, a piece of our community, and, uh, and it will be there for generations to come. Uh, we'd love for you to participate in that and gather. That's 4 o'clock on Thursday. So let's go into Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Hey, we're going to talk about art today. It's like relevant to the sermon, except it somewhat meaningless in the sermon today. So we'll, we'll, we'll balance that out. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, it, you, you need to go back and listen last week if you, if you weren't here, because last week set the stage for the interpretive keys of Ecclesiastes. If you've ever sat down and read Ecclesiastes, you know that it can be difficult to read and difficult to just grasp. But if you know just a few things, it's just a couple of little keys to understanding and interpreting the book. The whole thing makes way more sense, and you will be able to read it and, and, and get the point of it and even receive joy and purpose out of reading it if you understand the context of what is and is not being said here. Uh, the preacher of Ecclesiastes, as we said, it, 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 very, it may very well be Solomon that's the author of this book. We don't know that for sure, so I'm just going to call him what he calls himself, the preacher. The preacher of Ecclesiastes uh, goes on a journey here in chapter 2. It's a journey of discovery and testing. He's basically going to be trying stuff out through trial and error to see where he can find purpose or meaning in life. And, and that's an important journey that we all have to have some level of journey through. Because if we're going to live life, if we're going to live life to the fullest, and if we're going to find joy in life, then we've got to find some level of meaning or purpose in the life we live. Now, both in the preacher's day and in our day, there's two basic approaches to finding purpose and meaning in life. And there, there's lots of little derivatives, but, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to boil it down to two basic approaches. Either you search for a meaning or purpose, I'll use those interchangeably, either you search for meaning in life by finding out who is the ultimate authority and, and, and trusting in a sovereign God to display meaning in life, and you therefore discover the meaning that is inherent within God's created order. So that's one approach. You believe in a sovereign God who orders all things, who creates all things, created you, and created you in a particular way for a particular purpose in life. That's one track. The other track would be to create meaning. You discover meaning that's out there that you're not creating if you're trusting in a sovereign God. But if you're not trusting in a sovereign God, if you either believe in a God that is far off and unconcerned about daily life, or if you do not believe in God, then your path towards meaning is a path towards creating meaning. It comes from the assumption that there is no inherent purpose or meaning in life. Therefore, I've got to just make the best of it. I've got to create meaning out of the opportunities, relationships, and situations in front of me. So, so, two different approaches. Either we believe God is real and sovereign and has ordered the universe, and therefore the path towards meaning is to finding out who He is and how we live in response to Him, or there is no God or God doesn't care, and therefore we must just make the best of it, create purpose and meaning in our life. Now, the approach of Ecclesiastes two goes down this second track. The the non-sovereign God track. And you think, well, Ecclesiastes talks about God. It's in the Bible. Shouldn't the preacher of Ecclesiastes take God into account in his writing? And and that's just it. That's what we must see in Ecclesiastes. Much of the book of Ecclesiastes is written as if God does not exist or as if God is not intimately involved in day-to-day life. And that's one of those interpretive keys, because the setting of Ecclesiastes, as I told you last week, is under the sun. And inherent within the, the preacher's writing here is this realization that he circles back to at the end, that everything under the sun is not everything that there is. And so yes, life is fleeting, life is vanity or vapor, life is chasing after the wind if it's only about what's under. The sun. You can find no ultimate purpose, no ultimate meaning in anything you pursue under the sun. That's what the preacher's trying to show you. But he's trying to show you in practical ways. He goes on what I see as a very modern modern mission here. He's going to find where do I find the best joy, pleasure, happiness in life? I'm going to try everything. That's what he says. He says, I'm going to try physical pleasure. I'm going to try wealth. I'm going to try work and accomplishments. I'm going to try sex and sexuality. I'm going to try all of those tactics to see if any of those will bring me to ultimate pleasure or to ultimate purpose. So that's the approach of Ecclesiastes 2— a journey by trial and error through all of the pleasures of life, all of the potential sources of meaning in life. And in the end, what he's doing is telling you, don't do what I did. We have to see that is that the preacher in Ecclesiastes is setting himself up as an example of pursuing life without God so that we will understand that the only way to find real meaning in life is with God. So with that said, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, starting in verse 1. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this was also vanity. I said of laughter, this is mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses. I planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself. I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forests of growing trees. I brought male and female slaves. I had slaves who were born in my house. I had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had come before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. Verse 9. So I became great. And I surpassed all who were in Jerusalem before me. Also, my wisdom remained with me. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. Think about that. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. My heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I expanded in doing it. And behold... All was vanity and a striving after wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. Well, that's peppy and joyful, isn't it? This is the way the author of Ecclesiastes writes here. He he is dismantling this worldly philosophy that says you can derive pleasure and meaning. You can create pleasure and meaning by going about your own devices, by going about your own approaches. Uh, in the end, he is making it very clear to us the path towards meaning. But for today, here's where we're going. We're going to look at the test of pleasure that he undertakes in verses 1 through 8. There's a clear shift between verses 8 and 9. So the first part, the end of, or the, the test of pleasure in 1 through 8, and then the end of pleasure, what, what his result is in 9 through 11. And then we're going to talk about what life's really like beyond the sun. Uh, This is essentially the approach. Every time you read Ecclesiastes, think, what is life under the sun and what is life beyond the sun? That's the contrast he's making all the way through. Uh, The test of pleasure. Look at the things that he tests. First, he tests laughter. He says in verse 2, after he says in verse 1, I'm going to test everything. I'm going to test my heart. I'm going to let my heart have all good things. And then verse 2 he ultimately said of laughter, this is madness. This is mad. Now, is laughter madness or it does laughter have some benefit or purpose? Because as I said, this may be Solomon. It may not be Solomon, but whoever this is has read Proverbs and knows what Solomon said in Proverbs and knows that in Proverbs seventeen twenty-two it says a joyful heart or a laughing heart is good medicine. You thought that it was the world that came up with this comment that laughter is good medicine. No, it was God and God's Word, Proverbs 17, uh, A laughing heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Is laughter a good thing? Yes, absolutely. Laughter is not the ultimate thing. This is the tone that he takes throughout this. Where, where he goes is he starts with laughter in verse 2. He moves on to food and drink in verse 3. Art and verse 4, uh, nature, possessions, wealth, music, entertainment, sex. They're, they're all up there on the screen. These are all of the approaches he takes throughout these eight verses to find physical pleasure and purpose in these aspects of physical pleasure. And they're all the same things. They, these are timeless. He wrote this 4,000 years ago, and they're still timeless today. Laughter, food and drink, art, nature, possessions, wealth, music, entertainment, sex, all of those things. If you were to go about this process in 2021 to say, how can I find great purpose and meaning through pleasure? These are the things you would try. You'd go up to some comedy clubs. You'd go and you'd, you'd eat a lot and drink a lot and get gourmet meals. You'd go to some art shows. You'd go out in nature. You'd go on some hikes. You'd store up a bunch of possessions for yourself. You, you would store up your wealth in your bank accounts. You would go to, to all of the shows, all of the movies, all of the plays to just fill yourself with entertainment. And you'd go the path of sexuality to live however you wanted in order to find pleasure and purpose in those things. A timeless approach here that he's taking. And in the end, he's writing this out for us. He's writing it down so that we don't have to go the same route he did. Is there purpose in laughter? Well, there's benefit in laughter, but never ultimate purpose. And we know this, right? Not every setting is the same in which not every joke, not every laugh is appropriate in all settings. Everyone's been in a setting where joking around is just not appropriate. Everyone's been in a setting where laughter is good medicine. And, and some of these, is, it's a really fine line, right? If you're sitting at a funeral of a dear loved family member, then there is, it is both true. Some jokes bring laughter that is good medicine. And some jokes are incredibly disrespectful and inappropriate in that setting. And so we know both the benefits and the limitations of laughter in, in any and all setting. But the reality of it is, see, this is, this is the approach I have to take. And Jericho is teaching me something about this too. I have come to realize as a boy dad that my sense of humor is largely sarcastic and, and usually just making fun of people, that's how I learned to laugh, was just laughing at other people's expense. That's not always a good parenting approach. It's not really funny to kids. You like do damage to kids doing stuff like that. But I know now that my son, hey, that's definitely his approach. He laughs at people. And that's okay. There's something that is just this, this boy tendency that when you get Jericho, so we watch, as a family, we watch old episodes of America's Funniest Home Videos. And Eden laughs a little bit. Um, Jericho just cackles. Because so much of America's Funniest Home Videos, what's funny about it is the people that like, get hurt. Like There's the funny, cute things that kids do, but then there's the funny falls and accidents and things like that. And that is exactly what Jericho wants to see. He will watch that all day. And then Karis. She'll just follow her brother into the laughter. Karis thinks it's funny too, but mostly she's laughing at Jericho. We're all just laughing at Jericho. Because he has a great sense of humor and he loves to laugh. But right there we see that even our laughter is fallen. Right? Right? But because it's so fun and so enjoyable to laugh and, and, and to even laugh at somebody's expense if they can have a good sense of humor about it, that's great and good and beautiful. And yet, we don't ultimately want to be spending our lives laughing at other people, laughing at their failures, at, at their falls, at, at their pain, right? There's, that's not good and wholesome. And yet, it, it's such an ultimate desire to laugh, to smile, to have joy. You know, just as Proverbs says that laughter, a laughing heart is good medicine, so does Proverbs in Proverbs twenty six, eighteen, says, like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I'm only joking. So so what's it like if you are joking around with your neighbor through deception, and you say, oh, it's fine. I know that was rude, that was mean, that wasn't good to you, but I was only joking, it was just a practical joke. Proverbs says, it's like you're throwing fiery arrows at him. So there's a place for laughter, but there's also a place to be careful with laughter. And ultimately, laughter does not bring ultimate pleasure or purpose. It, here's the starting point for today that we have to see. As we go through laughter, food and drink, art, nature, wealth, possession, sex, all, all of these things, uh, we, we're going to take a similar approach. They're all good. There's nothing on this list that is bad. They're all good. But none of them are ultimate. And so should you find joy in any of these things on this list? Absolutely. Absolutely. But joy must be measured rightly around ultimate purpose. Because if your purpose in life, if the only approach you have to deriving any amount of pleasure or joy is laughter, is comedy, that's going to leave you empty. Because at some point the laughs run out. And at some point you've got to change your speed from laughter and, and fun and carrying on to being somber and serious and serious. And sometimes you just don't know how to do that because you're the guy that just makes everybody laugh all the time. But, but finding ultimate purpose in the right thing unlocks the joy in these other things. All of these things on this list are good gifts from God, and none of them are God himself. And so when we place, place any of these in the ultimate position of this is where I get my pleasure and joy, we're going to find it empty. Food and drink is his next approach. And, and we all know how food and drink can, can bring great wine or can great joy. But wine and food can also bring gluttony and drunkenness. And so, yeah, there, there is a beauty. There is a good to the things that God has created for us in this earth to taste and to smell and to enjoy. And yet what he's telling us is don't rest On wine to bring pleasure and joy. We know that, right? We we know that if our ultimate source of of satisfaction or pleasure in life is wine, then the end is drunkenness, and that's not pleasure and purpose. But you can say the same thing about food, because if ultimate purpose and pleasure is to be found in food, then the end goal, the, the end of that is ultimately gluttony. And so whether you're on the path of pursuing joy through drink and your end is uh, drunkenness or joy through food and your end is gluttony, at the end you're not going to be fully satisfied by either. It doesn't mean you can't enjoy either, but it does mean we have to be very careful. Ephesians 5 um, says to us that to get drunk on wine is is, is opposed to being filled with the Spirit. And so this is why we take great care with these substances, because we want to be, as believers in Christ, filled with the Spirit. We don't want something else to to alter our, our brain chemistry, to alter our mindset, so as to keep us from being fully led and filled with the Spirit. And so to be drunk on wine is to be opposed to the filling of the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18, Do not get drunk on wine, for this is debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit. And so is the author of Ecclesiastes, this is, we have to be careful here, is the author of Ecclesiastes saying, stay away from wine at all times? No, actually, Ecclesiastes 9.7 says, drink your wine and be merry. What, what's he actually getting at? We'll, we'll get there. We're going to end with Ecclesiastes 9 today. But, but for now, we'll suffice it to say, that all of these pleasures of life, just like I said, laughter is good. You should laugh occasionally. Uh, So is food and drink good when rightly understood as a part of God's good gifts to mankind. To be enjoyed carefully, uh, cautiously, to not move into gluttony or drunkenness. Every pleasure in this life should point beyond itself. That's your takeaway. Enjoy This life, enjoy the pleasures of this life, but only to the extent that the pleasures of this life point beyond themselves into something greater. Uh, When you sit around a table with old friends and you enjoy this gourmet meal, this great meal, and you laugh and you joke and you tell old stories and you relive the the inside jokes. There's so much pleasure and and joy to be found in those moments, right? We've all been in those moments, right? But then at the end, you go your separate ways. That meal is over, your stomach is full. You've gotta go to bed because you stayed up late and you walk away from your friends and you think, man, that was so fun. There was so much joy there. In those moments, there should be a longing and an aching for something more. And that is godly and that is beautiful. See, here's where we get out of line is when we seek those moments as our ultimate fulfillment, instead of letting those moments create in us an aching and a longing for a truer and better community, a truer and better uh, laughter, a, a truer and better joy to be found that we are being prepared for in eternity. Each of these things are preparing us for the ultimate pleasure and joy to be found beyond the sun. And what's under the sun, as soon as you try to grab that puff of smoke, it just dissipates around you. So, so don't try to find ultimate pleasure here in this life. Verse 4, he says, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. He was an architect. He designed great gardens and he designed vineyards. He made pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. So this is his pursuit of art, nature, architecture, and in all that he's doing, he, he is trying to both create an oasis for himself to enjoy, but, but he's also trying to create some level of legacy where others will look at him and say, wow, that's a beautiful garden that he designed. It's a beautiful pool that he designed. And so in, in this, we have both this approach to art, this approach to enjoying nature, and the approach of, of work, of finding pleasure in work, all wrapped up in here. And in the end, he's not fully able to, 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 to drain all of the joy out of it that he wants. Because anything, any construction project you've ever done, you're trying to do something in your house, you're trying to, to, to redo your, your yard, your house, whatever, Anything you do, you do it, you put great work into it, you, 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 you anticipate what's coming, and in all of the anticipation you think, everything's going to be so beautiful if we can just finish this project, and then that project's done, and what happens? Then you want to remodel the other bathroom. The backyard looks great, the front yard still looks terrible. You want to, you want to buy another house so you can redo that house too. And in all of those things, we seek, we make things more than what they are. We, in all of our anticipation, we think this is going to be so great. We're going to enjoy it. And then we're going to have arrived if we can just get this bathroom remodeled. And then it's just really not all that, all that it was cracked up to be, right? Because there's not ultimate purpose to be derived from that level of project. That vacation to the beach, it was beautiful. You enjoyed nature. You you just basked in the glory of nature when you were at the beach or when you were at the mountains or when you were at the lake. And then you had to go back home. And all of these things, he's saying the temptation of a sinful human being is to try to suck all of the pleasure out of that and say, I've gotten there. I've arrived. Now I'm here. This is pleasure. This is leisure. This is good. This is, this is the good life. And in all of this, what he's telling you is, guys, I've tried this with ultimate Unlimited resources. That's not me. That's the preacher of Ecclesiastes. I don't have unlimited resources. But the preacher of Ecclesiastes is saying, I've tried this with unlimited resources. I've tried all the art. I've tried all the singers. I've tried all of the gardens and all of the vineyards you could imagine. So with when you're thinking, well, just a little bit more, just a little bit more work to be done, just a a little bit more purpose to be found. If I can just get to this next stage, he's telling you, if you cannot find purpose now, you won't then. That's the message of this passage. There's not going to be purpose at the end of the next construction project. There's not going to be purpose at the end of the next vacation. There's not going to be purpose at the end of the next uh, night of laughter and good food and good drink. None of those things are going to bring purpose if you cannot find purpose beyond the sun now. And he keeps going. Possessions, wealth. You know, I say he was an architect and, and he says, I built gardens. I built pools to water the gardens. I did all of this stuff. Um, he says in verses seven and eight, he said, I bought male and female slaves. I had slaves who were born in my house. I had great possessions, herds and flocks more than, any who ha- more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. All of these great possessions, that didn't get me there either. Imagine what it must have been like to say, boy, I want a garden there. And to yesterday, I'm standing in my backyard and I think, I want those trees to come down. But who's going to cut those trees down? I've either got to pay somebody to do it or I've got to do it. I want those flowers to be planted. Who's going to do it? I'm either going to do it myself or I'm going to pay somebody to do it. And all of that work of my hands in my yard, in my garden is laborious or expensive or whatever. He's sitting there. I want a garden. Hey, you guys, go make it happen. Unlimited resources, slaves in his own household. You guys, go make it happen, and think of how much leisure, and joy, and rest he has as he draws a picture of a garden, and they go make it happen. That's the approach he's taking here, and he's saying, guys, even there, it's not all it's cracked up to be. It it ends. In vanity, it ends in chasing after the wind. In all, of the, in all of that that he had done, he was storing up for himself, verse 8, silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. And this, too, was not enough for him. Uh, the great American millionaire, millionaire, John Rockefeller, was asked, how much will be enough? You've heard this story, right? How much will be enough? How much money will be enough? And he said, well, it's just a little bit more. And under the sun, that's always the answer. It's always going to be just a little bit more. How much money? How much wealth? How how many possessions? How much food and drink? How much laughter? How much art? How much entertainment? He hires singers to come in and entertain him. And at the end of all of it, he's like, well, it just was never quite enough. I always needed just a little bit more under the sun. Finally, he moves to sex in verse 8. He says, I had many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. He highlights these. Number one, it's the last on the list. And number two, um, it comes with a particular phrase describing the delight of the sons of man. And he recognizes in his position, again, unlimited resources, pretty much unlimited power for his day and age. And he's recognizing that probably everybody else out there is thinking well, yeah, you had this, and you had this, and you had this, and if I could only have that. And he's again saying about sex. No, no, no. It's just not all it's cracked up to be. And there's plenty of men out there, he knows, that are thinking, well, if we could live the sort of life that you lived then ultimate sexual pleasure whenever you wanted, isn't that, isn't that going to be something? Isn't that going to make a difference? Isn't that going to move the needle a little bit? And he, he says, No. And the reality of it is there's lots of talk of biblical sexual ethics in our day. And the biblical sexual ethic is simple. That sex either builds up or it tears down. Sex either unites or it divides. That the biblical sexual ethic says that man and woman were created for intimacy with each other. And ultimately the preacher gets there again in chapter 9. But we know that that sex works according to God's design with one man and one woman in a committed relationship. That's the story of Scripture in sexual ethics. And anything beyond that doesn't unite husband and wife together, but it actually destroys the sexuality that a person was created with as a good thing, a good gift from God. It's the same story as anything we've talked about. Laughter is a good gift from God. Aren't you so glad that God created us with laughter? Aren't you so glad God created us with taste and smell to enjoy food and drink? Aren't you so glad that God created us with eyes to see beauty, beauty in people and beauty in nature? Aren't you so glad that God created us for the pleasures of sex done rightly? And yet, When any of these gifts become God's, they destroy. See, when God is God, he is a loving God, a sovereign God who orders the whole universe and has a purpose and plan for you. But when one of God's gifts is elevated to the place of God, it becomes a slave master. It enslaves you to where you are constantly seeking to derive more pleasure out of that God, more purpose out of that God, and it's going to be fleeting. It's going to be hard. You're not going to grasp it. You're not going to get there. And so in this narrative that says that the biblical sexual ethic is is repressive or or, or regressive, the the truth is this is the way sex was designed to work, man and woman, in a covenant-committed relationship, to unite, to build. And any other application of sexuality destroys the good gift of God that was created within that person. Now, there's redemption. There's redemption. You can be redeemed out of a broken sexuality into the purity that God brings at the cross of Christ. But Solomon puts on display for us here, and we'll talk more in coming weeks, because it's a theme he comes back to, that if you approach sex with just many concubines— for many different types of delight, you're not going to get there. You're not going to get to pleasure, and you're not going to get to purpose. So that, that's sort of his marketplace. That's his smorgasbord of joys, if you will. He, he goes to the smorgasbord, he goes to the, through the buffet line, and he picks for himself, okay, I'm going to pick art here, I'm going to pick laughter here, I'm going to pick concubines here, I'm going to pick pick wealth here, all of these things. He loads them all up on his plate. He tries them one by one. He doesn't find ultimate pleasure in any one of them. So then, verse 9, he says, I kept my heart from no pleasure, but this was my reward. What was the reward? That ultimately all of this was vanity. Again, that word for vanity means smoke or vapor. All of this was this thing that I couldn't couldn't grasp onto. I kept trying to bear hug the, the, the vanity and I couldn't get it. It just dissipated in my arms. He calls it again a chasing after the wind. And there is nothing under the sun that could be a true reward and bring true pleasures. See, because when each of these pleasures is seen as a gift, as a gift from God, they can bring joy. But when any of these pleasures becomes God, they just destroy you and enslave you. Every one of these pleasures mentioned here is, is given to us as a good gift to point beyond itself, to point into eternity, to point beyond the sun. The whole scope of Ephesians, this is life under the sun, look beyond the sun. Get over the sun, look beyond, and see what God is really doing in eternity. Think about the emptiness, of some that, the empty feeling you have after living out any of these pleasures. You think, again, back to that night where you're gathered with old friends, telling old jokes and laughing about old stories, enjoying incredible food. And in the end, it just leaves you wanting to do it again, but you can't just go back and, and do it again. You can't just enjoy that, that pleasure and that joy again. And think about, uh, you've, you've probably had it, at the end of a movie that you just loved and you think, oh, that was so good. I'd love to go back and watch that again. But now I know how it ends. I'm never gonna suck that much pleasure or joy out of it again. You're reading a book that you love and you think, ah, I just wish that book would, is there another one? Can I just go and, and read another one like this? Because I don't want it to be over. That, that concert that was so fun, you think, I wish I could just go back. Well, you can't go to a concert every night of your life. You shouldn't, maybe you can All of these things, we're seeking more pleasure and more joy. And in the end, they all stop and they all offer what they offer. And then they leave you just wanting more, wanting that next hit. Ecclesiastes 9, towards the end, the preacher comes around to say this. Go. This is 9, 7 through 10. He says, go eat your bread with joy. He, he's talking about joy. Go eat your bread with joy. Drink your, mop, drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has approved what you do. Let your garments be white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your fleeting life that he has given you under the sun. Because that's your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are all going. Let me tell you what he's saying. He's saying, go drink your your wine and eat your bread with joy. We got that in verse 7, right? Uh, Verse 9, enjoy your spouse, enjoy your family. All the days of your short, fleeting life. Not purposeless life, short, fleeting life. Enjoy what he's given you under the sun. And in verse, because this is what you're given. This is your portion. This is what you get. This family, this life, these gifts. Don't, don't go searching for another family. Don't go searching for new friends. Don't go searching for new gifts and new career. You don't have what that guy has. This is your portion. Get as much joy as you can out of this portion. Because in the end, verse 10 you're going to die. You're all going to die. This is such a theme of Ecclesiastes. The rich man dies, the poor man dies, their end is the same. And so if all you're doing is living for what's under the sun, your death is not going to be a good thing. But, but is there something beyond the sun? Every week, here's how we end. We turn to Jesus. John 15, 11. Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Okay, so let's let Scripture interpret Scripture. This is how we approach reading difficult and confusing texts in the Bible. You let Scripture, you let what, the Scripture that is most clear help you interpret the scripture that is least clear. So you think, is Ecclesiastes really leaving me in this point where there is no pleasure to be found under the sun, so I just do my best to get whatever joy I can, but don't expect too much out of this life? No, no, no. Because then Jesus shows up on the scene, and he says, I have come so that you might have the same joy I have and that you might have full and complete joy. And you think, how does that even make sense? how do we get there, Jesus? We back up a little bit in John 15. Verse nine, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Remain or abide in my love. If you keep my, com- my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have ca- kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Where is purpose to be found in this life? It's actually really simple. It's Jesus. But, but when you take what Jesus is saying here, Jesus is saying he doesn't just want your eternal joy. He wants your joy in your eternity to be present joy. He doesn't just want you to be joyful and fulfilled when you get to heaven. He wants your anticipation of the joys of heaven to bring present tense joy and hope and purpose to. This is that path that we're talking about where we can go when I started at the beginning and say we can either create meaning out of our life because God is too distant or God is not real or we can discover the meaning that God has created for us. This is that purpose. This is that meaning that we would find joy in Jesus that we would recognize that all of these other opportunities we have, this great smorgasbord that we could fill our plate with sex and art and nature and hard work and money and laughter, all of those great things that we can throw up there, they're not going to bring purpose unless we choose joy in Jesus. By recognizing those things are not going to ultimately fulfill us, so therefore in our brokenness— in our weakness, in our dependence, in our desperation, we call out and we recognize I am a sinner that cannot find joy because of my own sin blocking me from ultimate fulfillment in this life. So therefore, I need somebody to not just break into human history and bring something new, but somebody to break down the barriers of my heart and my mind and to make me new. Somebody to say, yes, you are a sinner, but even though you are a sinner, while you are a still a sinner. I'm going to die for you so that I can purchase you out of that. I can pull you out of the pit that you're in in order to make you something actually new. Last week, the preacher kept talking. There's nothing new under the sun. If there was, is there anything on earth of which we could say there is something new? New, And I told you the beauty of Ecclesiastes is that Jesus breaks in and he brings something new. Now I'm going to tell you, one of the beauties of Ecclesiastes is not just that Jesus has broken in to human history to make something new. He has broken into your heart to make you new. Is there anything new under the sun? 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone The new has come. Therefore, yeah, there's something new. And it's you. And it's me. A new creation in Christ that can actually derive ultimate purpose and life under the sun only because our gaze is beyond the sun. Only because of an eternal perspective. Only because of an ultimate eyes on ultimate reality. Can we look and we can now say that the work I do, I do unto the Lord and therefore it is good. That the laughter I have, I laugh with the joy of the Lord. That the art and the entertainment I consume, I consume recognizing that the beauty of this life is fleeting, but any and all beauty should point me beyond to the beauty of all that God has created. The beauty that was here in the world before sin marred everything. The beauty that is waiting for us in all eternity. Ecclesiastes is about an eternal perspective, a heavenly perspective that looks beyond the sun and says, Jesus has broken into human history. He's broken into you and me. And the way to joy is to abide with him, is to remain in him, is to love him, to keep his commandments, and to abide and remain in the joy that he has offered for us. So we're, we're going to close with a song today But our ultimate application is going to be not just how do I live for eternal joy in the temporal circumstances. That's application number one. How do you live with eyes set on heaven in the midst of what's right in front of you? But also, who do you know that is taking that second path? Just trying to create their own meaning. Just trying to live for the next pleasure hit that this life has to offer not recognizing the eternal, not recognizing what comes after death. Every one of us has somebody that we can serve, that we can love, and that we can help to pull out of that pit that they're in and into the loving arms of Jesus where purpose can actually be found. So let's stand and we'll worship together.
1: Of every song we could ever sing, worthy of all the praise we could ever bring, you're worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you, Jesus the name of God. Other name, Jesus, the only one who could ever say, You're worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. The praise we could ever bring Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you Jesus, the name above every other name Jesus, the only one who could ever say, you're worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you, we live for you. We're singing holy, there is no one like you, there is none beside you, open we
0: Father, we praise you this morning. You are good and your creation is good. May we never think that because of the fleeting purpose and meaning to be found in life that this life is not good. Father, you've created such beauty. You've created such goodness, such purity for us to enjoy. But Father, at the center of it all is you. And those life can be meaningless if we take you from the center. So, Father, may we center our hearts and our minds on you as we leave today. May we go out as your ambassadors to bring the message of hope and peace and purpose to those around us, to those starving for joy to be found. Father, may we help them find it in you. Give us boldness, give us courage, give us grace. And, Father, give us comfort as we endure for the sake of the cross. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. Now remain standing and receive the high priestly blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, amen. Go in peace. Thank you for worshiping with us.